let's ask the Lord to help us. Father God, I thank you for the refreshing, challenging spiritual time that we had in Indonesia. Lord, I don't think my life will ever be the same. And I thank you for these dear ladies that come faithfully every week who want to know more about their Savior, want to know more about Jesus. And, oh God, we come before you. We're all in different areas of our walk. We all need to be challenged by your word. We all need to have understanding of it. But, oh God, how much more we need to be doers of your word, not hearers only, and deceiving ourselves. So challenge us today, Lord, and speak to our hearts. We truly need to hear from Jesus, not from any other source. We ask this in your precious name. Amen. Well, we could have called this lesson all kinds of things. I thought about it, a tale of three men. Uh, no, that doesn't have much ring to it. And then we could have said, a love versus pride, or truth versus apostasy. But what did I come up with? Stick to the truth. And I would like to add to that, may the truth stick to you, how much we need to have that. Well, I was someplace about 33,000 feet above the earth, and I asked the Lord, I did the lesson on the plane, and then I asked the Lord, what do you need to hear today? Lord, what would you have me tell these ladies? And this is what came from listening to the Lord. The first thing is, how would you have liked to have received this letter from John to the beloved? And then just fill in your name. You are the Lord's beloved. And then it goes on to say, whom I love. This is what Jesus would say to you. You, O believer, are beloved in his sight. Think on this. Take a minute and close your eyes and take it in that the God of the universe loves you personally, intimately, and cares about all that you go through. It's wonderful. Why, is this, why can I say this to you? It's because he died for you and I, and you are very precious because you've been bought by the very blood of God. You could go and take the most valuable stone, I don't know what it would be, maybe the Hope Diamond, and you could hold that in your hand, but you're far more precious to God than even the Hope Diamond. You're precious. He bled and died and on that cross for you and I. We've been bought by his blood. And because of his death, you will never, ever have to face a second death. Well, verse 2 says, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. I thought, what does it mean to prosper in all things? Well, actually, this is, was a common greeting in that day. And I can't go too far with it because I plop right into the prosperity gospel. And the Lord doesn't want us to go there. But I kept thinking about what does it mean to have your soul prosper? And I think if I asked us all that, We'd all agree, yes, I'd like to have my soul prosper. We would value that very much, but the, there is a little snag to it. That the only way it will prosper is through Jesus Christ. There's no other way your, your soul may prosper except through him. It can't be done. Verse 3, For I rejoice greatly when brethren came and testified of the truth that is in you, just as you walk in the truth. Note the word truth, in you, and you walk in in the truth. Do you want to be spiritually healthy? That's how you can be spiritually healthy, by having the truth in you and walking in the truth. Well, how's that done? Well, we do have little memory verses every week. That's one way to take it in, but it's also to daily live by the Word and study the Word. I don't know what I'd do if I didn't read through the scriptures every year. It just keeps me so in focus. 
So that when I hear an untruth, I'm very aware of it. But we need to ask ourselves the question, are others drawn to me or to you because we have the word about us, that they seek you out because they know you are a woman of the word? Remember, that's the name of our study, Women of the Word. What does it mean to walk in the truth like Gaius? Well, it simply means that you take it in and then it becomes your compass for life. And then from that comes a sweet fragrance about your life. So that no one in this room has, should have spiritual B.O. <laughs> a side note, our last leg home was full of Indians from India and they don't believe in deodorant. And I was absolutely overwhelmed. And I had two teenagers sitting with me and they were all going like this all the time. <laughs> so it was quite an experience. But then I thought about spiritual B.O. There should be such a fragrance about our life that people are drawn to us, that they know where to go if they're in prayer need. They'll say, oh, I, I, I have so-and-so to pray for me or with me. And then verse four, I just love it. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Now, I've been praying that prayer, that verse, for years over my children. It's over all their names. Now they're all middle-aged. And, uh, <laughs> and I have most of my grandchildren now are going off to college, so it shows you how old I am. I have put that in my prayer book, following their needs, because I want them to become men and women of God. And I would just say to you, don't our children and our grandchildren need our prayers today? You don't know what's around the corner. I would hope to God nothing would ever happen again like it happened in back in Virginia, but we don't know. And I would say, don't let a day go by without praying for your children. Especially if they're young, pray for their, their future mate. Now, they may never have that day because maybe the Lord will come, but be in prayer for that future person in their life that it would be a godly individual and that they would walk together. If they're already in the faith, pray diligently. It's not easy. How many things we hear all the time. I would hate to have my children in high school today. Tell you the truth, I don't know how they can do it. And I thought it was bad in my day and I thought it was bad in my children's day, but it just seems to be so much more needy in the high schools. And if your children are out of the faith, aren't walking with the Lord, how much you need to be praying promises for them so that uh, they will come to Christ. And be sure not to preach about that. Just pray and live the kind of life that is needed. That's all I can say is don't preach, pray. And perhaps you have an offspring today that's faltering, doesn't know what to believe. Maybe they've gone to a secular college and so much of what they thought they believed in has just kind of been washed out by professors and other students. Well, that's the time to come alongside that child and pray for them and encourage them. Didn't we see that in Gaius? He is a man who can encourage others and how you and I need to be in that same category. Verse 5, Beloved, you do faithfully whatever you do for the brethren and for strangers who have borne witness of your love because the church, before the church, if you send them forward on their journey in a manner worthy of God, you will do well because they went forth for his name's sake, taking nothing from the Gentiles. And that's something to, to really think about because there's, there was no Motel 6 in those days. You had no hotels. And on a rare occasion, you might be able to find an inn, but um, Gaius just opened his home for believers to come and to stay. And while he had them with them, he would encourage them on their journeys, 
Because oftentimes people were moving out to share the gospel. They, they have relatives someplace, and they wanted to go share the gospel. And so he fed them, he refreshed them. And I thought, wouldn't you and I have liked to have stayed in Gaius's home? It would be wonderful to get encouragement in the Lord, wouldn't it? And then I thought, he should share gospel, number one, to share the gospel, how I've seen that in the last couple of weeks. But today we have guests that come to our homes here in the Bay Area and they want to see the Bay Area. So we take them out and show them the Golden Gate Bridge and we show them parts of San Francisco and we go all kinds of places and to impress them. But do we ever go beyond this? Do we ever share the Lord with those that we are having in our homes? Well, I wouldn't want to turn them off, really. You know, a relative suddenly goes into a hospital and then you say, well, I can't talk to him now because I talked to him now about the Lord. He might think he was dying, so I better not talk to him now. And then as I got home from being over in Indonesia, I got an urgent call that said so-and-so had a massive heart attack and we don't know if he was saved. And so here we are. We put out these little excuses. Oh, well, I just don't want to talk to him because I don't want to offend him. But we need to take a long, hard look at the cross because what Jesus went through there offended him tremendously. It offended him so badly he died from it. And here we are, well, I just don't want to say anything. Time is short. When I was flying from Jakarta to Madan in Sumatra, where there was uh, four of us that were going to come home, two teenagers and my husband and myself, and so I was separated from them. They were in the center and I was over here and I sat next to a man and a lady and I thought, oh good, I can just close my eyes and take a little snooze. But the man in the middle wanted to talk, and he could speak English. So I thought I'd better listen, and he had a lot to say. In fact, he said he was Chinese, and I was surprised because I, so I just talked to him nonchalantly, and I said, I've heard that the Chinese in Indonesia are um, prejudiced against from the Indonesians. And he said that was very true. And then I asked him where he was going, he was going home, he had three children, he could hardly wait to get home. And then he shared with me he was a Buddhist. So I got an opportunity to say, well, you know, Buddha is in the grave, but my Jesus is alive and well, and he's coming back. And so this fellow was a little taken aback by that. <laughs> but he was very open, so I plunged on, <laughs> telling him about sin and judgment. And I thought, well, I'll never see him again. But he gave me his card, his business card. And he says, please write. So when I get my brain together and get back to earth here, I am going to write him and tell him more about the Lord. So, but interesting enough, the lady that was on the other side of him was an Indonesian, and he got talking with her too, an Indonesian of course, and she was a Catholic and very, very concerned because she said, I think God is angry with us because of the tsunami, and I think he's angry with us because of the volcano going off. And I think he's angry with us because of the earthquake. So this gentleman turned to me and said, what do you think? And I said, yeah. <laughs> I said, well, we live on the Pacific Rim. We can't, we need to expect this. I said, but when we have an earthquake in California, God hears from a lot of people he usually doesn't hear from. So I said, these are our little things, big things, little things that God gets our attention with. Not judgment, not judgment yet. So that bothered him, I'm sure, a little bit. Anyway, we're looking at Gaius in this context of the lesson today, and he was a marvelous man of hospitality. And I began thinking about that, kind of what's happened to our hospitality. 
you know, we don't seem to have that tremendous need anymore to bring people in. But I remember when my children were growing up, we had the opportunity to have Dr. Guderian at our home. He was a missionary in South America who discovered that this fly created um, river blindness, and then he discovered how to give vaccines, counteract it. He was talking about the jungle and all these things, and I could still see my six kids sitting around the table, just wide-eyed, listening to every minute of what he had to say. So if you ever have an opportunity to take a missionary into your home, I would say, I would encourage you to do so. It is quite an experience. Now, just the opposite from this, <laughs> we were 12 souls going to Indonesia to stay with a missionary family, which happened to be my son and daughter-in-law and two grandchildren, and um, that's kind of a real twist. But it was an exciting experience living with them because of everything that was going on. It was a real education for us. They lived in the center of all Muslims that all live around them. And so I asked my son, how did this come about? And he said, well, we knocked on doors. We found a house, we thought we could fix it up, and we knocked on doors to ask every single person, all 65 families, if they would accept a foreigner in their midst. And every single one was unanimous, no, that'd be fine, they could move there. Well, there's one problem that you and I take for granted every day, is that they didn't have any running water. And women would have to take these big jugs and go up the hill, get water to bring it back. So, of course, we could just immediately walk in with American know-how and get that thing channeled. But my son knew better than doing that. He had the village meet together and ask them if they would be interested in channeling that water so that water could come and bring nourishment to the community. Of course, he was totally, it was agreed upon. It would cost $65 per family to do this. They were too poor. They wanted it. They agreed. And I, while we were there, we saw a man bring this huge sack of fruit that's very common in that area. He brought it this Thanksgiving to my son. So the water went in, and the pipes went to the families, and there's a water tower there. And every time we passed it, I'd say, praise the Lord, praise the Lord for that water tower. Because they're now trusting that that water, which keeps them alive, will give them a thirst for the living water. And of course, we had the opportunity to prayer walk in that village of 65, we'd go out, and of course they don't understand English, so it's pretty easy to pray out loud and, and ask God to work and bring down the walls and the barriers that people have put up. And I was just really struck by that, is that is something we can do here. And I think, why aren't we doing that? Why aren't we prayer walking our neighborhoods and asking God to bring down the barriers so that Christ can walk in? And we get so comfortable in our churches, and we feel like, well, they can come to church. Well, no. You could prayer walk and maybe do it for a month, and then have a barbecue and invite them. You don't know what God would do in the softening process there. I saw it vividly portrayed through this water tower. It was extremely wonderful, and to see how carefully they went about it. They didn't try to thrust themselves on it. They just did it. Now, while we were there, we were there to build a dorm for the seminary my son has going. And we had a lot of fun doing it. It was mostly women, <laughs> a couple of teenagers that kept everything very lively. And I think they got proposed to maybe 25 times while we were there. And as one girl is Russian, and she was about 5'10". And all the Indonesian women, of course, are all about here. And men, too. They're very small. And they wanted to know what she ate to make her so tall. <laughs> 
anyway, there is proof I worked. I left two pictures on the back table that Jean Brain had brought up on her computer. So I, uh, I did go to work, and it was tough because it was 100 degrees and 100 degrees humidity. And we, from Americans, soft Americans, just stood around sweating. It was really something else. But concerned about it? No. I'm more concerned about when we visited the Stain uh, University where 3,500 Muslims are studying. We had the opportunity to go in there, and they think that America is all what they see on television. And much to my horror, MTV is very readily available to them, and they think this is the United States. And so very pointed questions were asked, like, did we agree with uh, President Bush? And what about this? And we're going to go into Iran, and, and so on. They are really queued up, and we've made a lot of errors, and I just grieve over that. Anyway, back to our lesson. Sorry, I got carried away there. Then you have this wonderful person called Diatrophes. Did you notice here in verse 9, John says, I wrote to the church, but Diatrophes, who loves to have the preeminence among them, does not receive us. Now you have to slow down and read that. He wrote a letter. What happened to the letter? Guess what? Diatrophes destroyed it, which was pretty, pretty much a gutsy thing to do because here was the apostolic figure head still living of the apostles, and he throws it away. He was not only doing that, but he was rejecting believers. All those that favored John or were converted by John or whatever, he was throwing out of the church. And I tried to think about that as if you showed up to church next Sunday and somebody comes to the door and says, I'm sorry, you can't come in here. I mean, how would you feel? I'd be so, what is going on here? But that's what Diatrophes was doing. He was a real religious dictator. And the New Testament now teaches us how to deal with these kind of people. He was doing all the disciplining himself. He was Mr. Hotshot. He had a following. Probably weak believers were coming along with him. And John says, well, what, wait until I come and get him. You know? But instead, he sends Demetrius. Dictators are dangerous because they believe they're serving God. They have a following. It didn't matter too much to Demetrius whether anybody loved God or not, as long as they loved him. So old as John was, he wanted to come and confront him. Now I thought to myself, do the Demetrius's, uh, not Demetrius's, Dief, whatever his name, Diophanes, do they exist today? And I would have to say yes, because sociopathic people uh, are drawn to the pulpit because they want to have the preeminence. They want people to bow down to them or whatever. And so that can happen. And some of you are too young to remember back in 1978, but there was a man in San Francisco, Jim Jones, who had a, uh, a body of believers over there, so-called believers, and he felt that the government was getting in too close, so he moved them all to Guyana. When the, our country went to investigate, he had 913 of them take Kool-Aid laced with, I think it was um, cyanide, and then he himself drank the same, and so when the government got there, there was 914 bodies. So, you know, I'd like to think that doesn't happen today, but I know better. It does happen, and uh, people with these goes, egos, you need to really uh, be very careful about. I wanted to also say something about uh, another form of hospitality that we can do, and I know many of you do do this. We have a man in our Sunday, actually a couple in our Sunday school class that take out a couple every Sunday, so they get to know them, and they take them out. It's nothing too difficult. They take them to a restaurant and they get to know them one-on-one. -on -one. That's a, 
as another form of hospitality before I get off of that altogether. Yeah, there's some wicked things going on in our churches today, and I don't need to bring it up, you know, about pastors molesting their women in their congregation, you know, about homosexual sin among pastors. It's just, uh, so who are we supposed to follow? Please always bring yourself up short on this. You're to follow the Lord and get your eyes on Him. As soon as we get our eyes on the man in the pulpit, we're in trouble because he will always let us down. And if you read in uh, Jeremiah 17, it says that it's a curse to put your trust in man. So you need to be very wary. And I know all the pastors that we represent are just great. You know, we live in a troubled time and, and we need to be very careful what we do. Well, John here in verse 11, which was your simple memory work this week, Beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. Who does good is of God, but he who does evil is not seen God. So actually, I, it sounds like to me, John's putting on this diatrophies right on that level that he's evil. But you know, the diatrophies of this world are really fighting God. They're really against him. And guess who always wins in the end? Know that his day is coming. So what does John do? He sends Demetrius. He has a good testimony from all and from the truth itself. From all. Can you imagine having a testimony like that? That all the people said he's a-okay, he's a godly man. And I think, what about our testimonies? What kind of a life are we li living? And simply don't imitate diatrophies. Imitate Christ and you'll be okay. Take in his word and live by it. Well, it was wonderful here because Gaius would not have to stand alone. He would have Demetrius with him. And I think between the two of them, they took care of the diatrophy of that city. Demetrius was undoubtedly John's postman, for the usual channels would have had the letter going to diatrophies, and that would be the wrong person because he would have thrown it away again. So anyway, it was one-on-one -on -one here. He sent it, and good old Gaius received it. So, I have those last three questions that were in your lesson. It says, what was Demetrius' testimony? I just don't want to fly over that. He had a good testimony from all. And I think that's what you and I need to strive for, that we'd have a good testimony from all. Not perfect, heavens, but we need to have that. He was like Gaius. He was ready to help. It's interesting that John never told Gaius to kick the guy out, but I certainly would have. I don't know if that's the right way to handle it or not, but that's why I, I would certainly have confronted him. And then it says, how can you develop a good and true testimony? Love the Lord with all your heart and all your soul and all your being, and love your neighbor as yourself. And love his word. God has given us his word to know, to study, to memorize, to meditate on. And if you know that, you'll develop a true testimony. Why is having a good testimony of, or a reputation critical for believers? It's because the world is really dark. You say, well, everybody's kind of the same. No, it's dark. And people need to see a godly walk. You need to see a godly life. You know, so often we're trying to please each other, and we should be pleasing just the Lord. Such a dark place. Do you guard your reputation? You should. The things you see, the places you go, what you eat, just the whole schmear. It needs to be done to the glory of God. Be true to God and be true to yourself. Then John ends this letter here, and I just had a thought go through my mind. I had many things to write, but I do not wish to write to you with pen and ink. But I hope to come see you shortly, and we shall speak face to face. Peace to you, our friends. Greet you. Greet the friends by my name. This was his last message before John passed away, but I thought about it. 
he never said goodbye. But you know what? Christians never have to say goodbye because here or there, maybe we'll meet in the air, but we're all going to the same place. And I think that is so beautiful. And Christian fellowship just isn't donuts and coffee or lunch or whatever. It, it's men and women who will carry one another's burdens. That's what the church should be about. That's what you and I should be about. Ready, available to help. Because when I'm down, then you can pick me up. And when you're down, I can pick you up. And God gets the glory from it. So I trust you are in the flock, that you know the Lord. But just in case, if you're still looking in, let's ask him to meet your need today. Father, I thank you for this little letter, and yet it's so powerful. It brings us up short about hospitality. It brings us up short about encouraging others. It brings us up short about uh, good and evil in the church. And Lord, I pray if there's anybody here today that does not know you, perhaps is just looking in on the Christian faith, I pray that that person might reach out to you and say, Lord Jesus, I need you to come into my life and cleanse it and make it pure and make it for you, your sake, Lord, that I might glorify you in this life, that my life might count and add up to something, that others might see the love of Christ in me. And Lord, we just praise you for that one that might see that today, and I pray that the rest of us would begin to realize that we're maybe a little bit too comfortable and really not ready for the Lord's return. Make us, Lord, cognizant of the people that live around us and the lost people that are all about May we have a heart for you to share. And oh God, bless each lady here today and anyone that's really struggling, Lord. May they give that burden to you and know that you are the great burden bearer. And we'll simply give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen.